Welcome to another Top 5 Ecosystem Insights Series episode here on the Global Startup Movement Podcast, where we go back through our catalog of interviews to bring you the top five insights provided by our guests, broken down by region. Today, we're focused on Europe. The modern-day European startup ecosystem began to develop across Europe in the years following the 2008 financial crisis. In the first five years, venture capital was scarce, and seed stage funds were still slowly forming. Now, a little over a decade later, cities across Europe, including London, Paris, Berlin, Stockholm, and Amsterdam, have burst into the list of top 15 global startup ecosystems. These cities, along with other exciting ecosystems like Portugal and Estonia, have produced impressive global tech unicorns and a thriving startup culture, making Europe a serious player in the global startup ecosystem. But that doesn't mean challenges haven't stunted ecosystem growth, and many challenges still persist today. And if you're a startup founder in Europe looking to build a unicorn, this is one of the biggest challenges you're going to face. Here's Karen Bors from the European Startup Network on what that challenge is. We hear the same issues indeed repeated in, in every single country that we visit and that we discuss with. And that most particularly in the European context, that is uh, that every European market is different, right? It's, the, it's different languages, different cultures, different legislative systems, different policy systems, different tax regimes. And so basically for every single market that they enter and have to conquer, they have to start more or less from scratch and they don't know what they don't know. So they kind of have to find out by doing each and every one of them. And knowing that these are fairly young, small, fragile companies, that kind of learning curve is a bit too steep for most to survive. So we're actually trying to build bridges now between those startup ecosystems. And it's one of the main reasons of existence of the European Startup Network to make sure that we can at least share with them the information that they need to start a venture in each and every single country as if they would have been bred there, you know, so they understand the tax regime and the consequences for them. And they understand that, for example, in a country like Germany, you might not want to do business in English. It's just common business culture that you know, business is, is being dealt with in German, still in Germany. And if you don't know that, you can spend six to 12 months with your English speaking business developer, not, not getting through the door and not understanding why until somebody tells you, but why don't you just speak German or find a German? speaking business developer and things will advance a lot faster. So it's not just a question of understanding the legislation and, and the fiscal climate. It's also understanding how business is, is done. And in some countries, it's during office hours. In some countries, it's at the bar in the evenings that business is running. You have to kind of understand the insights of, uh, of the business community. The lucky thing about an entrepreneurial community is that it's caring and it's sharing. So we really try to connect entrepreneurs across borders to make them explain to each other, kind of peer-to-peer, -peer, how business is run in their own countries and make sure that they learn from each other as fast as possible, not to have to go through that learning curve all over again every single time. And so, yeah, that's definitely one of the things, apart from, of course, the obstacles that come with it. If you have 26 or 28 different tax regimes, that's difficult to handle either way, you know, even if you're aware of it. <laughs> We're definitely also trying to fight all the legislative and, and policy obstacles that there are and trying to ease the system and to make it kind of more harmonious. But that's a long-term effort, whereas just, you know, sharing information and providing access to potential customers and investors across borders is, is probably a shorter-term solution for many. Market fragmentation is a result of the many different countries that make up the European continent. And while cultural and language barriers still persist, from a policy standpoint, Europe's politicians have been much bolder than the rest of the world with data privacy legislation and making it easier for startups to do business in the countries. 
This next insight comes from Paulin Demethon, the founder and CEO of Drivey, which was acquired by GetAround for about $300 million earlier this year on policy and political changes that happened when he was building Drivey from 2010 to 2019. Uh, well, it's been quite spectacular. Uh, so the past five years, we had a left government, uh, which started a bit, I mean, which had a very bad reputation I mean, a very bad business reputation. And actually, during uh, during Mr. Uh, President François Hollande's uh, mandate, there were a lot of cultural changes, and they appointed uh, good people at the digital economy, always very pro-business. So even in the past five years with the government that initially had a bad reputation for being business uh, unfriendly, things have changed already. And obviously now with the with the new president who is always supported startups directly and has has had a very pro startup speech and pro uh, innovation and digital economy like the general atmosphere and the way um, entrepreneurs are valued is very positive really i mean i think france has not yet managed to have giant gafa companies but really in terms of culture like the the kind of stereotype that entrepreneur is not, a, there is no French word for entrepreneur or stuff like that. Really, the atmosphere around entrepreneurship and startups is very bullish in France. And when you see like key indicators for me, more than financing is what do the best people out of university want to work for? How are you perceived as an entrepreneur when you just, you know, meet new people? And it's extremely positive now in France. So, so we didn't yet reach the phase where, you know, you have a lot of growth companies raising uh, hundreds of millions, but you have tons of new little seeds burgeoning everywhere. And the atmosphere is very positive and, and very encouraging for entrepreneurship. With GDPR and other tax credits, data privacy legislation, and pro-digital economy legislation, European legislators have proven to be some of the more progressive in their protections of user privacy, as well as startup-friendly laws. But there still begs a question. How does Europe attract more later-stage venture capital? Here's Chris Wade's answer from Isomer Capital and Octopus Ventures on whether or not it makes more sense for an LP who's based in London to focus on funds in the UK or to take a diversified approach across Europe. Now, the opportunity is Europe without question. And here's my example of why that must be the case. If we had just stayed in London uh, and imagine we had done this five, six years ago, we'd have missed Farfetch, which came out of Portugal, and we'd have missed Europe's first $10 billion company, which came out of Helsinki. So we don't know, and, and I, I would submit nobody knows where the next mega company is going to come from. So therefore, we need to have investments with VCs across the whole of Europe who are also investing in across Europe. So we will not invest in a VC that is just focused on a single marketplace because we want this effectively this net of eyes and ears and investment professionals across the whole of Europe because that's where the opportunities will come from. And so where does Europe find the capital to build a venture ecosystem similar to the U.S.? Well, Chris has an answer to that, too. From a VC point of view, um, it is getting immeasurably better. However, there remains one very significant difference between Europe and, and, and the U.S., and that is 
the major institutions, the major pension funds, the major endowments, some of the major corporates who are active in VC investments uh, in the US are not in Europe. And that was one of the reasons we wanted to build Isoma Capital. I, I gave you a bunch of reasons of things we're doing to help the VCs, but what are we doing to help the, the people who want to invest in, in programs like Isoma? Well, what we're doing is giving them the ability to have a, a first touch, a first look at, at this whole asset class called, called venture capital. You know, you put a bunch of money with us, we will spread it across the whole of Europe into up to about 500 companies, and you're getting to understand which are the great companies, which are the great VCs. But fundamentally, at a sort of, you know, why question, why Isoma? which we are going to solve the last remaining problem in European venture. And that is getting the big pools and the big pots of money that represent institutional capital in its various different forms to start being interested in venture. And then you really do have an environment in Europe that is equivalent and similar um, uh, to, to the US. So, Eastern Europe developed a little bit differently than Western Europe or the Nordic region. Eastern Europe has much smaller economies, and its ecosystems are much younger and less mature than you'll find in the Western part of Europe. But opportunity is still there. Here's an insight from Oliver Hull, the co-founder and principal at Speed Invest, which is a $100 million fund investing all over Europe, but with particular expertise in successfully investing in the Eastern European ecosystems. In Austria and then most of these fringe markets in Europe, uh, you, you get to work with first-time founders uh, that have very little experience or I guess you could call it sophistication in terms of working with investments, working with venture funds, working even with global business partners. And if you just invest money and, 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 and give a little bit of advice in a board level, that's way too little support and way too little basic uh, operational guidance uh, than we thought we would, would be needed uh, to make these companies successful. Uh, we had a very, solo, very small failure rate in our first fund. Uh, and uh, I think that was exactly because we 100% focused our energies on very specific, very operational, tactical support uh, for these founders. And in the first 24 months, guided their way together, of course, uh, to become global businesses and to, to think bigger and at the end of the day act in a different way than they would do uh, what they've seen in their environment uh, back in Austria. And that's a, that's a resource question at the end of the day. And you can only do that if you have a different fund model and a different type of team than a typical early stage fund would be able to deploy. We've been in a unique position in Austria because when we started in 2011, there was really no other fund active anymore. And that hasn't changed that much uh, up until today. So, so I guess we've always been a very strong player. We've seen almost all the deals that are around. And in that sense, the, the amount of top quality deals in Austria fast has always been there. And so that's a positive on a negative. It hasn't dramatically increased over the last year. What has increased over the last couple of years, what has increased is the total amount of deals. And, and what you get to see now is more and more repeat founders that, that are doing the second, third thing, which of course is a great, great opportunity. 
But um, in terms of top quality deals, we've always seen them in Austria, and but the number has not dramatically picked up. And finally, we're finishing off with Daniel Bloomquist from Crandom and the Nordic region. The Nordics have some of the most resilient and, in my opinion, exciting ecosystems in Europe. This includes Stockholm, Iceland, Helsinki, and Estonia. But Stockholm in particular has produced two of Europe's great unicorns, Spotify and Clarina. Here's Daniel from Crandom, which is one of the leading VCs in the Nordic region based in Stockholm, on what factors contributed to Stockholm's impressive ecosystem growth. And this insight is really a reflection on why the Nordics have produced such resilient ecosystems. So there's, um, there's a number of factors. There's no silver bullet. Um, it's a combination of things that, that happened actually quite some time ago. Early privatization of many tech-related uh, areas, telecoms, uh, banking, and so on. Uh, which allowed for newcomers or, or disruptors to coming into market in the 90s. And that, I think, combined with the whole internet um, possibilities, which were very sort of quickly uh, picked up in Sweden. People are, you know, we had broadband early on. People are PC literate. Uh, we're, we're a lot of developers and hackers. So in the, in the early mid-90s, there were a lot of people who, who started toying around and playing around with the internet um, um, as a distribution channel and new, uh, new business models. Most of them, of them failed late 90s, but there was a lot of hype and a lot of activity. And then I think the, really the ignition happened by maybe 10, 12 years ago um, in the form of getting these role models like uh, Niklas Sandstrom from Skype. So Skype was a super important uh, startup, I would say on a European level, but I guess Sweden could really relate to it, given that one of the key founders were, were, were Swedish, um, in that it was possible to build with the internet technology as a um, help, you know, uh, leveraging that for distribution to build a global phenomena out of, in this case, Europe. So, so that, I think, was a, uh, as a key moment to have a couple of these early successes People that have been around for quite some time, then being second, third, fourth time generation entrepreneurs in the um, mid 2000s, um, uh, and now we're seeing where we've uh, we've had, as I say, a number of, of very very successful companies. Sweden has contributed with probably more billion dollar exits um, than almost any other country out of Europe. So uh, it's a lot of things that have come together, and, and now I think we see the the fruition of that. Sweden has produced relatively so many very big successes. If you compare to, say, France, Germany, UK, where there have been a lot of good successes, but not maybe on the relative size, not as many really world-leading companies, um, they have been able to make do with you know pretty big home markets for longer, and that's not possible here. So as you say, you very early on need to think globally. For the ones that then make it, uh, then they actually have a good shot of making it uh, pretty big because they've proven early on that they can scale outside their own uh, home market. So there you have it, some of our top insights on building startups in Europe. And thanks for tuning in this week for another episode in our Ecosystem Insight series. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app to ensure that you don't miss any episodes of the global startup movement.